Chapter 7. Songs in the Night When Tiffany and Mrs. Proust got to the source of the shouting, the street was already covered with a rather spectacular layer of broken glass and worried-looking men with armour and the kind of helmet that you could eat your soup out of in an emergency. One of them was putting up barricades. Other watchmen were clearly unhappy about being on the wrong side of the barricades, especially since, at that moment, an extremely large watchman came flying out of one of the pubs that occupied almost all of one side of the street. The sign on it proclaimed it to be the King's Head, but by the look of it, the King's Head now had a headache. The watchman took what remained of the glass with him, and when he landed on the pavement, his helmet, which could have held enough soup for a large family and all of their friends, rolled off down the street, making a glowing, glowing noise. Tiffany heard another watchman shout, "'They got Sarge!' As more watchmen came running from both sides of the street, Mrs. Proust tapped Tiffany on the shoulder and said sweetly, "'Tell me again about their good points, will you?' "'I'm here to find a boy and tell him that his father is dead,' said Tiffany to herself, "'not to pull the feagles out of yet another scrape. "'Their hearts are in the right place,' she said. "'I don't doubt it,' said Mrs. Proust, who looked as though she was enjoying herself no end. "'But their arses are on a pile of broken glass. "'Oh, here come the reinforcements.' "'I don't think they will do much good,' said Tiffany, "'and, to her surprise, turned out to be wrong. "'The guards were fanning out now, "'leaving a clear path to the pub entrance. "'Tiffany had to look hard to see a small figure "'walking purposely along it. "'It looked like a feagle, but it was wearing—' "'She stopped and stared. "'Yes, it was wearing a watchman's helmet, "'slightly bigger than the top of a salt cellar, "'which was unthinkable, a legal feagle. "'How could there be such a thing?' Nevertheless, it reached the doorway of the pub and shouted, "'You scanners are all under arrest. Now this is how it's going to go, you can. You can hide it the hard way, or—' He paused for a moment. "'No, that's about it, I—' he finished. "'I don't know any other way.' With that, he sprang through the doorway. Feagles fought all the time. For them, fighting was a hobby, exercise and entertainment all combined. Tiffany had read in Professor Chaffinch's famous book on mythology that many ancient peoples thought that when heroes died they went to some kind of feasting hall where they would spend all eternity fighting, eating and boozing. Tiffany thought that this would be rather boring by about day three, but the Feagles would love it, and probably even the legendary heroes would throw them out before eternity was half done, having first shaken them down to get all the cutlery back. The Knack-Mack Feagle were indeed ferocious and fearsome fighters, with the minor drawback from their point of view that seconds into any fight sheer enjoyment took over and they tended to attack one another, nearby trees, and, if no other target presented itself, themselves. The watchman, after reviving their sergeant and finding his helmet for him, sat down to wait for the noise to die away, and it seemed that it was only after a minute or two that the tiny watchman came back out of the stricken building, dragging by one leg Big Yan, a giant among feagles, and now it appeared fast asleep. He was dropped, the policeman went back in again, and came out with an unconscious rob anybody over one shoulder and daft woolly over the other. Tiffany stared with her mouth open. This could not be happening. The feagles always won. Nothing beats a feagle. They were unstoppable. But there they were, stopped, and stopped by a creature so small that he looked like one half of a salt and pepper set. When he had run out of feagles, the little man ran back into the building and came out very quickly, carrying a turkey-necked woman who was trying to hit him with her umbrella, a fruitless endeavour, since he was balancing her carefully over his head. She was followed by a trembling young maidservant, clutching a voluminous carpet-bag. The little man put the woman down neatly alongside the pile of feagles, and while she screamed at the watchman to arrest him, went back inside and came out again, balancing three heavy suitcases and two hat-boxes. 
Tiffany recognised the woman, but not with any pleasure. She was the Duchess, the mother of Letitia, and fairly fearsome. Did Roland really understand what he was letting himself in for? Letitia herself was all right, if you liked that kind of thing. But her mother apparently had so much blue blood in her veins that she ought to explode, and right now looked as if that was going to happen. And how appropriate that the Feagles should have trashed the very building that the nasty old baggage was staying in. How lucky could one witch get? And what would the Duchess think about Roland and his watercolour painting wife-to-be being left in the building unchaperoned? This question was answered by the sight of the little man dragging both of them out of the building by some very expensive clothing. Roland was wearing a dinner jacket slightly too big for him, while Letitia's apparel was simply a mass of flimsy frills upon frills, in Tiffany's mind not the clothing of anyone who was any use whatsoever. <laughs> Still more watchmen were turning up, presumably because they had dealt with Fiegels before and had had the sense to walk, not run, to the scene of the crime. But there was a tall one, more than six feet in height, with red hair and wearing armour so polished that it blinded, who was taking a witness statement from the owner. It sounded like a long-drawn-out scream to the effect that the watchman should make his terrible nightmare not have happened. Tiffany turned away and found herself staring directly into the face of Roland. "'You? Here?' he managed. In the background, Letitia was bursting into tears. <laughs> "'Just like her. Look, I have to tell you something very—' "'The floor fell in,' said Roland before she could finish, like someone still in a dream. "'The actual floor actually fell in. Look, I must—' she began again, but this time Letitia's mother was suddenly in front of Tiffany. "'I know you. You're his witch-girl, yes? Don't deny it. How dare you follow us here?' "'How did they make the floor fall in?' Roland demanded, his face white. "'How did you make the floor fall in? Tell me!' And then the smell came. It was like being hit unexpectedly with a hammer. Under her bewilderment and horror, Tiffany sensed something else, a stink, a stench, a foulness in her mind, dreadful and unforgiving, a compost of horrible ideas and rotted thoughts that made her want to take out her brain and wash it. That's him, the man in black with no eyes, and the smell. A toilet for sick weasels couldn't smell worse. I thought it was bad last time, but that was a bed of primroses. She looked around desperately, hoping against hope not to see what she was looking for. Letitia's sobs were getting louder, and mixing very badly with the sounds of the feagles groaning and swearing as they started to wake up. The mother-in-law-to-be grabbed Roland by his jacket. "'Come away from her right now! She was nothing but a—' "'Roland, your father is dead!' That silenced everybody, and Tiffany was suddenly in a thicket of stairs. "'Oh, dear,' she thought. "'It shouldn't have happened like this.' "'I'm sorry,' she managed in the accusing silence. "'There was nothing I could do.' She saw colour flow into his face. "'But you were looking after him,' said Roland, as if trying to work out a puzzle. "'Why did you stop keeping him alive?' "'All I could do was take the pain away. I'm so very sorry, but that's all I could do. I'm sorry.' "'But you're a witch. I thought you were good at it. You're a witch. Why did he die?' "'What did the bitch do to him? Do not trust her. She is a witch. Do not suffer a witch to live.' Tiffany didn't hear the words. They seemed to crawl across her mind like some kind of slug, leaving slime behind it. And later she wondered how many other minds it had crawled across. But now she felt Mrs. Proust grip her by the arm. She saw Roland's face contort into fury, and she remembered the screaming figure on the road, shadowless in full sunlight, delivering abuse as if it was vomit, and leaving her with a sick feeling that she would never be able to get clean again. And the people around her had a worried... "'hunted look, like rabbits who have smelled a fox. "'Then 
she saw him, hardly visible, at the edge of the crowd. There they were, or rather, there they weren't, the two holes in the air staring at her just for a minute, before vanishing, and not knowing where they had gone made them worse. She turned to Mrs. Proust. "'What is that?' The woman opened her mouth to answer, but the tall watchman's voice said, "'Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, or rather, just one gentleman, in fact. I am Captain Carrot, and since I am the duty officer this evening, the doubtful pleasure of dealing with this incident falls to me. And so,' he opened his notebook, pulled out a pencil, and gave them a confident smile, "'who is going to be the first to help me unravel this little conundrum?' To begin with, I would very much like to know what a bunch of knack-mack fiegel are doing in my city, apart from recovering. The glint off his armour hurt the eyes, and also he smelled strongly of soap, and that was good enough for Tiffany. She began to raise her hand, but Mrs. Proust grabbed it and held it firmly. This caused Tiffany to shake off Mrs. Proust even more firmly, and then say in a voice firmer than the grip, "'That would be me, Captain, and you would be—' "'Running away as soon as possible,' Tiffany said to herself. "'But she spoke up with, "'Tiffany aching, sir. "'Off to a hen night, are you?' "'No,' said Tiffany. "'Yes,' said Mrs. Proust quickly. "'The captain put his head on one side. "'So only one of you is going. "'That doesn't sound like much fun,' he said, "'with his pencil poised over the page. "'This was clearly too much for the Duchess, "'who pointed an accusing finger at Tiffany. "'It trembled with anger. "'It is as clear as the nose on your face, officer. "'This—' This, this witch, knew we were travelling down to the city in order to buy jewellery and gifts, and clearly, I repeat clearly, conspired with her imps to rob us. I never did, Tiffany yelled. The captain held up a hand, as if the Duchess was a line of traffic. Miss Aching, did you indeed encourage Feagles into the city? Well, yes, but I didn't really intend to. It was a sort of spare-of-the-moment thing. I didn't intend— The captain held up his hand again. Stop talking, please. He rubbed his nose. Then he sighed. "'Miss Aking, I'm arresting you on suspicion of—well, I'm just feeling suspicious. Besides, I am well aware that it is impossible to lock up a feagle who doesn't want to be locked up. If they are friends of yours, I trust—he looked around meaningfully—they will not do anything to get you into further trouble, and with luck all of us will be able to get a decent night's sleep. My fellow officer, Captain Angua, will escort you down to the watch-house. Mrs. Proust—' "'Would you be so good as to go along with them "'and explain the way of the world to your young friend?' "'Captain Angua stepped forward. "'She was female and beautiful and blonde. "'And odd.' "'Captain Carrot turned to her ladyship. "'Madam, my officers will be happy to escort you "'to any other hotel or inn of your choice. "'I see that your maidservant is holding a rather strong-looking bag. "'Would this be containing the jewellery of which you spoke? "'In which case can we ascertain that it has not been stolen?' Her ladyship was not happy about this, but the captain cheerfully did not notice, in that very professional way policemen have of not seeing things they don't want to see. And there was a definite sense that he wouldn't have paid much attention in any case. It was Roland who opened the bag and held the purchase up to the light. The tissue paper was carefully pulled off, and in the light of the lamps something sparkled so brilliantly that it seemed not only to reflect the light, but to generate it too, somewhere inside its glowing stones. It was a tiara. Several of the watchmen gasped. Roland looked smug. Letitia looked objectionably winsome. Mrs. Proust sighed, and Tiffany went back in time just for a second. But in that second she was a little girl again, reading the well-thumbed book of fairy stories that all her sisters had read before her. 
but she had seen what they had not seen. She had seen through it. It lied. Well, no, not exactly lied, but told you truths that you did not want to know, that only blonde and blue-eyed girls could get the prince and wear the glittering crown. It was built into the world. Even worse, it was built into your hair colouring. Redheads and brunettes sometimes got more than a walk-on part in the lander story, but if all you had was a rather mousy shade of brown hair, you were marked down to be a servant girl. Or you could be the witch. Yes, you didn't have to be stuck in the story. You could change it, not just for yourself, but for other people. You could change the story with a wave of your hand. She sighed anyway, because the jewelled headdress was such a wonderful thing, but the sensible witch part of her said, "'How often would you wear it, miss? Once in a blue moon? Something as expensive as that will spend all its time in a vault.' "'Not stolen, then,' said Captain Carrot happily. "'Well, that's good, isn't it? Miss Aking, I suggest you tell your little chums to follow you quietly, yes?' Tiffany looked down at the knack Fiegel, who was silent, as if in shock. Of course, when about thirty deadly fighters found themselves being beaten into submission by one tiny man, it takes a while to come up with a face-saving excuse. Rob, anybody, looked up at her with a very rare expression of shame. "'Sorry, miss. Sorry, miss. We just had considerably too much of the booze. And you can, the more you have of the booze, you can you want to have even more of the booze until you falls over, which is when you know you've had enough of the booze. By the way, what the heel is, creme de month?' "'A nice green colly again, but I must have drunk a bucket of the stuff. "'I suppose there is no point in saying we are very sorry, "'but you can. We did find a useless streak of rubbish for you.' "'Tiffany looked up at what remained of the king's head. "'Flickering in the torchlight, it looked like some kind of skeleton of a building. "'Even as she watched, a large beam began to creak "'and dropped apologetically onto a pile of broken furniture. "'I told you to find him. "'I didn't tell you you were supposed to pull the doors off,' she said. She folded her arms, and the little men huddled even closer together. The next stage of female anger would be the tapping of the feats, which generally led them to burst into tears and walk into trees. Now, though, they formed up neatly behind her and Mrs. Proust and Captain Angua. The captain nodded at Mrs. Proust and said, "'I'm sure we can all agree that handcuffs won't be necessary, yes, ladies?' "'Oh, you know me, Captain,' said Mrs. Proust. Captain Angua's eyes narrowed. "'Yes, but I don't know anything about your little friend. "'I would like you to carry the broomstick, Mrs. Proust.' "'Tiffany could see there was no point in arguing "'and handed the stick over without complaining. "'They walked on in silence, "'apart from the muted mumbling of the knack feagles. "'After a while the captain said, "'Not a good time to be wearing pointy black hats, Mrs. Proust. "'There's been another case out on the plains, "'some dead-and-alive hole you would never go to. "'They beat up an old lady for having a book of spells.' No! They turned to look at Tiffany, and the feagles walked into her ankles. Captain Angua shook her head. Sorry, miss, but it's true. Turned out to be a book of Clatchian poetry, you know? All that wiggly writing? I suppose it looks like a spell book for those inclined to think that way. She died. I blame the times, said Mrs. Proust. When they put that sort of thing in the paper, it gives people ideas. Angua shrugged. From what I hear, the people who did it weren't much for reading. You've got to stop it, said Tiffany. "'How, miss? We are the city watch. We don't have any real jurisdiction outside the walls. There are places out there in the woods that we probably haven't even heard of. I don't know where this stuff comes from. It's like some mad idea dropping out of the air.' The captain rubbed her hands together. "'Of course we don't have any witches in the city,' she said, "'although there are quite a lot of hen knights, eh, Mrs. Proust?' And the captain winked. She really winked. Tiffany was certain of it, 
in the same way she had been certain that Captain Carrot really did not like the Duchess very much. "'Well, I think real witches would soon stop it,' Tiffany said. "'They certainly would in the mountains, Mrs. Proust. "'Oh, but we don't have real witches in the city. "'You heard the captain?' "'Mrs. Proust glared at Tiffany and then hissed. "'We do not argue around the normal people. "'It makes them jittery.' "'They stopped outside a large building with blue lamps on either side of the doors. "'Welcome to the watch-house, ladies,' said Captain Angua. "'Now, Miss Aching, I shall have to lock you in a cell, but it will be a clean one. "'No mice, hardly at all.' "'and if Mrs. Proust will keep you company, "'then shall we say I might be a bit forgetful "'and leave the key in the lock. Do you understand? "'Please do not leave the building, because you will be hunted.' "'She looked directly at Tiffany and added, "'And no one should be hunted. "'It is a terrible thing being hunted.' "'She led them through the building "'and down to a row of surprisingly cosy-looking cells, "'gesturing for them to go inside one of them.' The door of the cell clanged behind her, and they heard the sound of her boots as she went back down the stone corridor. Mrs. Proust walked over to the door and reached through the bars. There was a tinkle of metal, and her hand came back in with the key in it. She put it in the keyhole on this side and turned it. "'There,' she said. "'Now we are doubly safe.' "'Och, Crivens,' said Rob, anybody. "'Will you no look at us, slammed up in the banger?' "'Again,' said Daft Woolly. "'I dinna ken if I will ever look myself in her face.' Mrs. Proust sat back down and stared at Tiffany. "'All right, my girl, what was that we saw? "'No eyes, I noticed. "'No windows into the soul. "'No soul, perhaps.' Tiffany felt wretched. "'I don't know. "'I met him on the road here. "'The Feagles walked right through him. "'He seems like a ghost, and he stinks. "'Did you smell it? "'And the crowd were turning on us. "'What harm were we doing?' "'I'm not certain he's a him,' said Mrs. Proust. "'He might even be an it. "'Could be a demon of some sort, I suppose. "'But I don't know much about them. "'Small trade retail is more my forte. "'Not that that can't be a bit demonic at times. "'But even Roland turned on me,' said Tiffany, "'and we've always been friends.' "'Aha!' said Mrs. Proust. "'Don't you aha me,' snapped Tiffany. "'How dare you aha me! "'At least I don't go round making witches look ridiculous.' Mrs. Proust slapped her. It was like being hit with a rubber pencil. "'You're a rude slip of a girl, you young hussy, and I go around keeping witches safe.' Up in the shadows of the ceiling, Daft Woolly nudged Rob anybody and said, "'We cannot let somebody smack her big wee hag, eh, Rob?' Rob anybody put a finger to his lips. "'Ah, weel, it can be a wee bit difficult with women folk arguing, you can. Keep right doot of it if you take my advice as a married man.' "'Any man who interferes in the arguing of women "'is going to find both of them jumping up and doon on him in a matter of seconds. "'I'm nae talking about the folding of the arms, "'the pursing of the lips and the tapping of the feet. "'I'm talking about the smacking around with the copper stick.' "'The witches stared at one another. "'Tiffany felt suddenly disoriented, "'as though she had gone from A to Z without passing through the rest of the alphabet. "'Did that just happen, my girl?' said Mrs. Proust. "'Yes, it did,' said Tiffany sharply. "'It still stings,' Mrs. Proust said. "'Why did we do it?' "'To tell you the truth, I hated you,' said Tiffany. "'Just for a moment. It frightened me. "'I just wanted to be rid of you. You were just—' "'All wrong,' said Mrs. Proust. "'That's right.' "'Ah,' said Mrs. Proust. "'Discord. Turning on the witch. Always blame the witch. "'Where does it start? Perhaps we have found out.' "'Her ugly face stared at Tiffany, and then she said, "'When did you become a witch, my girl?' "'I think it was when I was about eight, said Tiffany and she told Mrs. Proust the story about Mrs. Snappily, the witch in the Hazelwoods. The woman listened carefully and settled down on the straw. 
"'We know it happens sometimes,' she said. "'Every few hundred years or so, suddenly everyone thinks witches are bad. "'No one knows why it is. It just seems to happen. "'Have you been doing anything lately that might attract attention? "'Any especially important piece of magic or something?' "'Tiffany thought back and then said, "'Well, there was the Hiver, but he wasn't all that bad, "'and before that there was the Queen of the Fairies, but that was ages ago.' It was pretty awful, too, but generally speaking, I think hitting it over the head with a frying pan was the best thing I could have done at the time. And, well, I suppose we'd better say that a couple of years ago I did kiss the winter. Mrs. Proust had been listening to this with her mouth open, and now she said, That was you? Yes, said Tiffany. Are you sure? said Mrs. Proust. Yes, it was me. I was there. What was it like? Chilly and then damp. I didn't want to have to do it. I'm sorry, okay? "'About two years ago,' said Mrs. Proust. "'That's interesting. "'The trouble seemed to start around then, you know. "'Nothing particularly major. "'It was just as though people didn't respect us any more. "'Just something in the air, you might say. "'I mean, that kid with the stone this morning. "'Well, he would never have dared try that a year ago. "'People always gave me a nod when I passed by in those days. "'Now they frown. "'Or they make some little sign just in case I bring bad luck. "'The others have told me about this, too. "'What's it been like where you are?' "'Can't really say,' said Tiffany. "'People were a bit nervous of me, but on the whole, I suppose, I was related to a lot of them. "'But everything felt odd, and I thought that was how it had to feel. "'I'd kissed the winter, and everybody knew it. "'Honestly, they do go on about it. I mean, it was only once. "'Well, people are packed a little more closely together around here, "'and witches have long memories. "'I mean, not individual witches, but all the witches put together can remember the really bad times, "'when wearing a pointy hat got a stone thrown at you, if not something worse.' "'And when you go back further than that, it's like a disease,' Mrs. Proust said. "'It creeps up. It's in the wind, as if it goes from person to person. "'Poison goes where poison's welcome. "'There's always an excuse, isn't there, to throw a stone at the old lady who looks funny. "'It's always easier to blame somebody. "'And once you've called somebody a witch, then you'd be amazed how many things you can blame her for.' "'They stoned her cat to death,' said Tiffany, almost to herself. "'And now there's a man without a soul who's following you.' "'and the stink of him makes even witches hate witches. "'You don't feel inclined to set fire to me by any chance, Miss Tiffany Aching?' "'No, of course not,' said Tiffany. "'Or press me flat on the ground with lots of stones on me.' "'What are you talking about?' "'It wasn't just stones,' said Mrs. Proust. "'You hear people talk about witches being burned, "'but I don't reckon many real witches ever did get burned "'unless they were tricked in some way. "'I think it was mostly poor old women. "'Witches are mostly too soggy, "'and it was probably a wicked waste of good timber.' "'but it's very easy to push an old lady down to the ground "'and take one of the doors off the barn "'and put it on top of her like a sandwich "'and pile stones on it until she can't breathe any more. "'And that makes all the badness go away, "'except that it doesn't, "'because there are other things going on and other old ladies. "'And when they run out, there are always old men, "'always strangers, there's always the outsider, "'and then perhaps one day there's always you. "'That's when the madness stops, when there's no one left to be mad.' "'Do you know, Tiffany Aching, that I felt it when you kissed the winter? "'Anyone with an ounce of magical talent felt something?' "'She paused, and her eyes narrowed. "'Now she was staring at Tiffany. "'What did you wake up, Tiffany Aching? "'What rough thing opened the eyes that it had not got and wondered who you were? "'What have you brought upon us, Miss Tiffany Aching? "'What have you done? "'You think that—' "'Tiffany hesitated and then said, "'That he is after me?' She closed her eyes so that she couldn't see the accusing face, and remembered the day she had kissed the winter. There had been terror and dreadful apprehension, 
and the strange feeling of being warm whilst surrounded by ice and snow. And as for the kiss, well, it had been as gentle as a silk handkerchief falling on a carpet, until she had poured all the heat of the sun into the lips of the winter and melted them into water, frost to fire, fire to frost. She'd always been good with fire. Fire had always been her friend. It wasn't as if the winter had ever died. There had been other winters since, but not so bad, never so bad. And it hadn't just been a snog. She had done the right thing at the right time. It was what you did. Why had she had to do it? Because it was her fault. Because she had disobeyed Miss Treason and joined in a dance that wasn't just a dance, but the curving of the seasons and the turning of the year. And with horror, she wondered, where does it end? You do one foolish thing and then one thing to put it right, and when you put it right, something else goes wrong. Where did it ever stop? Mrs. Proust was watching her as though fascinated. All I did was dance, said Tiffany. Mrs. Proust put a hand on her shoulder. My dear, I think you will have to dance again. Could I suggest you do something very sensible at this point, Tiffany Aching? Yes, said Tiffany. Listen to my advice, said Mrs. Proust. I don't usually give things away, but I feel quite chipper about catching that lad who kept breaking my windows, so I'm in the mood for a good mood. There is a lady who I'm sure will be very keen to talk to you. She lives in the city, but you'll never find her no matter how hard you try. She will find you, though, in the blink of a second, and my advice is that when she does, you'll listen to everything she might tell you. So how do I find her? said Tiffany. You're feeling sorry for yourself and not listening, said Mrs. Proust. She will find you. You'll know it when she does. Oh, my word, yes. She reached into a pocket and produced a small round tin, the lid of which she flicked open with a black fingernail. The air suddenly felt prickly. Snuff, she said, offering the tin to Tiffany. Dirty habit, of course, but it clears the tubes and helps me think. She took a pinch of the brown powder, tipped it onto the back of the other hand, and sniffed it up with a sound like a honk in reverse. She coughed and blinked once or twice and said, "'Of course, brown bogies are not to everybody's liking, "'but I suppose they add to that nasty witch look. "'Anyway, I expect they'll soon give us dinner.' "'They're going to feed us,' said Tiffany. "'Oh, yes, they're a decent bunch, "'although the wine last time was a bit off, in my opinion,' said Mrs. Proust. "'But we're in prison. "'No, my dear, we're in the police cells, "'and though nobody's saying it, we're locked in here for our protection. "'You see, everyone else is locked out, "'and although they sometimes act dumb, "'policemen can't help being clever.' They know that people need witches. They need the unofficial people who understand the difference between right and wrong, and when right is wrong and when wrong is right. The world needs the people who work around the edges. They need the people who can deal with all the little bumps and inconveniences and little problems. After all, we are almost all human, almost all of the time, and almost every full moon Captain Angua comes to me to make up a prescription for a hard pad. The snuff tin was produced again. After a while, Tiffany said, "'Hard pad is a disease of dogs.' "'And werewolves,' said Mrs. Proust. "'Oh, I thought there was something odd about her.' "'She stays on top of it, mind you,' said Mrs. Proust. "'She shares lodgings with Captain Carrot, and doesn't bite anybody, "'although, come to think about it, she possibly bites Captain Carrot, "'but least said, soonest mended, I'm sure you'll agree. "'Sometimes what is legal isn't what is right, "'and sometimes what needs a witch to tell the difference. "'And sometimes a copper, too, if you have the right kind of copper. "'Clever people know this. Stupid people don't.' The trouble is, stupid people can be oh so very clever. And by the way, miss, your boisterous little friends have escaped. Yes, said Tiffany, I know. Isn't that a shame, despite the fact that they faithfully promised the watch to stay? Mrs. Proust evidently did like to retain a reputation for nastiness. 
Tiffany cleared her throat. Well, she said, I suppose, Rob, anybody would tell you that there are times when promises should be kept and times when promises should be broken, and it takes a feagle to know the difference. Mrs. Proust grinned hugely. You could almost be from the city, Miss Tiffany Aching. If you needed to guard something that didn't need guarding, possibly because no one in their right mind would want to steal it, then Corporal Nobbs of the City Watch was, for want of a better way of describing him, and in the absence of any hard biological evidence to the contrary, your man. And now he stood in the dark and crunching ruins of the King's Head, smoking a horrible cigarette made by rolling up all the stinking butts of previously smoked cigarettes into some fresh cigarette paper and sucking the horrible mess until some kind of smoke appeared. He never noticed the hand that lifted his helmet off, hardly even felt the forensic blow to the head, and certainly did not feel the calloused little hands that placed the helmet back on his head as they lowered his sleeping body to the ground. "'Okay,' said Rob Anybody in a hoarse whisper, looking around at the blackened timbers. "'Now we don't have much time, you can, so—' "'Well, well, I just knew that you we scunners would come back here if I waited long enough for ye.' said a voice in the dark, as a dog returneth to his vomit and a fool to his folly, so the criminal returns to the scene of his crime. The watchman, known as Wee Mad Arthur, struck a match, which was, for a feagle, a pretty good torch. There was a clink, as something that was the size of a shield for a feagle, but would have been a badge for a human policeman, landed on the floor in front of him. "'That's to show you, wee fools, that I'm nay on duty, okay. Can I be a policeman without a badge, ain't that so?' I just wanted to see why ye wee deadbeats talks properly like what I do, cause ye can I'm no a feagle. The feagles looked at Rob anybody who shrugged and said, What the heel do you think ye are then? Wee Mad Arthur ran his hands through his hair and nothing fell out. Well, my ma and papa told me I was a gnome like them. He stopped talking because the feagles were hooting and slapping their legs with mirth, which tends to go on for a long time. Wee Mad Arthur watched for a little while before shouting, "'I do not find this funny.' "'Will you no listen to yourself?' said Rob Anybody, wiping his eyes. "'You're speaking feagle sure enough. "'Did your mammy and your pappy nae tell ye? "'We feagles are born knowing how to speak. "'Crivens, it's just like a dog knowing how to bark. "'You cannot tell me you're a gnome. "'You'll be telling me you're a pixie next.' "'We mad Arthur looked down at his boots. "'My dad made me these boots,' he said. "'I couldn't bring myself to tell him I didn't like boots on my feet.' The whole family have been making and repairing shoes for hundreds of years, you can, and I wasn't any good at the cobbling at all. And then one day all the elders of the tribe called me together and told me I was a lost foundling. They was moving to a new camp, and they have found me a tiny wee baron, greeting by the road, right next to a sparrowhawk that I'd strangled to death after it had snatched me from my cradle. They reckoned it was taking me home to feed me to its chicks.' and the old gnomes put their hats together and said that while they were very happy to let me stay, what with being able to bite foxes to death and everything, it might be time for me to go out into the big world and find out who my people were. "'Well, laddie, you found them,' said Rob Anybody, slapping him on the back. "'You did well to listen to a load of old cobblers. That was wisdom they told you, sure enough.' He hesitated for a moment, and then went on. "'However, it's a wee bitty difficult that ye are no offence meant a policeman.' He jumped back, slightly, just in case. "'Granted,' said wee Mad Arthur, with satisfaction. "'Whereas ye are a bunch of thieving, drunken reprobates and scofflaws, with no respect for the law whatsoever.' The Feagles nodded happily, although Rob Anybody said, "'Would you no mind adding the words, drunken disorderly? We wouldn't want to be sold short here.' "'And what about the snail rustling, Rob?' said Daft Woolly happily. 
Weel, said Robinibody, in actual point of fact, the snail rustling is still in the early stages of development at this time. Have you no good points? said Wee Mad Arthur desperately. Rob Anybody looked puzzled. We kind of thought them is our good points. But if you want to get picky, we never steal from them that has any money. We has hearts of gold, although maybe, okay, mostly somebody else's gold. And we did invent the deep-fried stoat. That must count for something. How is that a good point? said Arthur. Well, it saves some other poor devil having to do it. It's what you might call a taste explosion. You take a mouthful, taste it, and then there is an explosion. Despite himself, wee mad Arthur was grinning. Have you boys got no shame? Rob anybody matched him, grin for grin. I couldn't say, he replied. But if we have, it probably belonged to somebody else. And what about the poor big wee lassie locked up and down in the watch-house? said wee mad Arthur. "'Oh, she'll bide fine till the morning,' said Rob anybody, as loftily as he could in the circumstances. "'She is a hag of considerable resource.' "'You think so? Your wee scunners punched an entire pub to death. How could anybody put that right?' This time Rob anybody gave him a longer, more thoughtful look before saying, "'Well, Mr. Policeman, it seems ye are a feagle and a copper. Well, that's the way the world spins, but the big question for the pair of ye is, are you a sneak and a snitch?' In the watch-house the shift was changing. Somebody came in and shyly handed Mrs. Proust quite a large plate of cold meats and pickles and a bottle of wine with two glasses. After a nervous look at Tiffany, the watchman whispered something to Mrs. Proust, and in one movement she'd taken a small packet out of her pocket and shoved it into his hand. Then she came back and sat down on the straw again. "'When I sees her the decency to open the bottle and let the wine breathe for a while,' she said, and added when she saw Tiffany's glance— "'Lance Constable Hopkins has a little problem that he'd rather his mother never found out about, "'and I make a rather helpful ointment. "'I don't charge him, of course. "'One hand washes the other, although in the case of young Hopkins I hope he scrubs it first. "'Tiffany had never drunk wine before. "'At home you drank small beer or small cider, "'which had just enough alcohol to kill off the nasty, invisible biting things, "'but not enough alcohol to make you more than a bit silly. "'Well,' she said, I never thought prison would be like this. Prison? I told you, my dear girl, this isn't prison. If you want to know what a prison is like, visit the Tanti. That's a dark place, if you like. In here the watchmen don't gob in your grub, at least when you're watching, and certainly never in mine, you can be sure of that. The Tanti is a tough place. They like to think that anyone who gets put in there will think more than twice before doing anything that'll get them put in there again. And they've tidied it up a bit these days, and not everybody who goes in comes out in a pine box— but the walls still scream silently to those with hearing. I hear them. She opened her snuff-box with a click. And worse than the screaming is the sound of the canaries in D-Wing, where they lock up the men who they don't dare hang. They bang up each one by himself in a little room, and they give him a canary as company. At this point Mrs. Proust took a pinch of snuff, at such speed and volume that Tiffany was surprised it didn't come out of her ears. The box's lid snapped back down. "'Those men, Mark, you, are not your average murderer. Oh, no. "'They killed people for a hobby, or for a god, or for something to do, "'or because it wasn't a very nice day. "'They did worse things than just murder. "'But murder was how it always ended. "'I see you haven't touched your beef. "'Oh, well, if you're quite sure.' "'Mrs. Proust paused with a rather large piece of heavily pickled lean beef on her knife and went on. "'Funny thing, though, these cruel men used to look after their canaries "'and cried when they died. "'The warders used to say it was all a sham.' They said it gave them the creeps, but I'm not sure. 
When I was young, I used to run errands for the warders, and I would look at those great heavy doors, and I would listen to the little words, and I would wonder what it is that makes the difference between a good man and a man so bad that no hangman in the city, not even my dad, who could have a man out of his cell and stoned cold dead in seven and a quarter seconds, would dare to put a rope round his neck in case he escaped from the fires of evil and came back with a vengeance. Mrs. Proust stopped there and shivered, as if shaking off the memories. "'That's life in the big city, my girl. "'It's not an easy bed of sweet primroses like in the country.' "'Tiffany wasn't very happy with being called a girl again, "'but that wasn't the worst of it. "'Sweet primroses,' she said. "'It wasn't sweet primroses the other day "'when I had to cut down a hanged man.' "'And she had to tell Mrs. Proust all about Mr. Petty and Amber, "'and about the bouquet of nettles. "'And your dad told you about the beatings,' said Mrs. Proust. "'Sooner or later it's all about the soul.' The meal had been tasty, and the wine surprisingly strong, and the straw was a lot cleaner than you might have expected. It had been a long day, piled on top of other long days. Please, Tiffany said, can we get some sleep? My father always says that things will look better in the morning. There was a pause. Upon reflection, Mrs. Proust said, I think your father will turn out to be wrong. Tiffany let the clouds of tiredness take her. She dreamed about canaries singing in the dark, and perhaps she imagined it but she thought she woke up for a moment and saw the shadow of an old lady looking at her. It certainly wasn't Mrs. Proust, who snored something terrible. The shape was there for a moment, and then it vanished. Tiffany remembered, the world is full of omens, and you picked the ones you liked.'